netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from FXGuide.com. Thanks for joining us for this FX podcast. The FX podcast is where we talk one-on-one with top visual effects artists doing cutting-edge work. We dig deep into the technical side, advance the craft of visual effects, and pay respect to the hardworking people creating amazing work. Be sure to check out all of our other podcasts at fxguide.com slash podcasts. Today, we're doing a special podcast with Jack Greasley from the team behind Mari, um, who's been presented with a Scientific and Engineering Oscar Award, an Academy plaque. Um, the SciTech Awards are probably one of my favorite part of the Oscars because of the just the the process that they go through to um, go through peer review and uh, get the submissions passed through. So this award is for the design and engineering of the Mari 3D Texture Painting System. So before we get to that, I just wanted to mention our FX PhD courses over at our sister site, fxphd.com, January 2016 term. There's some really killer, uh, I'm using the word killer, and that's actually the name of one of the classes I wanted to highlight, killer production value for interviews, promos, and production. One of the new classes in the January term. You know, I, I think that there's just been an explosion of interviews and and things on YouTube and the web and stuff and in general. And adding production value to these things is very important. Um, if you look at some of our FX Guide TV, I think we've been doing a very good job with that over the years. So Professor Ben Allen's going to take us through um, how to add that production value to those types of projects. Um, we have two Katana courses this term, one production primer and one in look development and lighting. We have an advanced VFX course, the desert truck scene. That's going to be an interesting course. There's some VR course. Um, VR, of course, I should say, is, is very growing these days and hot topic. So we have an immersive VR compositing and nuke course. Um, and not to leave out After Effects, we have a couple of classes there. There's a plug-in development course for Adobe Premiere and After Effects and a scripting and After Effects class. So those are just some of the classes I wanted to highlight that caught my eye when I was going through the uh, list of classes for this term. So check those out over at fxphd.com. It's affordable, it's taught by industry professionals, and as we say, you can take your career to the next level. Okay, so Mike Seymour will talk now with Jack Greasley to discuss the history of Mari, which started out as an in-house tool at Weta, to becoming a commercial product under the Foundry banner. So producing a product is hard enough, but developing inside a facility can have its own benefits and restraints, and they'll talk about that balance, and I think you'll find this a very interesting podcast, just kind of the history of how a product like this comes to be and uh, reaches all the way up to the Academy Awards uh, Scientific and Technical Achievement Awards. So let's join Mike and Jack now. Hi, Jack, and uh, welcome to the show. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's uh, great to speak to you. So um, I'm just dead keen to uh, have a chance to talk to you about the kind of the background and some of the history that uh, we don't often get to focus on uh, with Murray. But mm-hmm. before I go any further, tell me about the um, the uh, SciTech uh, recognition and uh, do you feel like, um, I mean, was it a surprise? I mean, obviously you have to submit and there's a rigorous process, but did it always feel pretty good or was it touch and go there? Um. <clears throat> We were hopeful. I think it's probably the, uh, the the best way to put it. Um, it, it is a, a very very thorough process, and I've been kind of blown away with the, the kind of depth and the, the breadth of the research that the academy have done 
Um, but in, in general, we, we, we were, we were, you know, quietly hopeful. Uh, but to be honest with you, it's, it's just an amazing, um, an amazing recognition for the team and the amount of work that people have put into Maui over the years. So yeah, we're, we're pretty chuffed. And before we go any further, we should point out that it's not just you, but also Duncan and, and the others that are being recognized. Do you want to run through that, the team? Um, yeah, so the people um, on the uh, on the award um, recognition are myself, uh, Keo, Duncan, and Carl. Uh, but really, you know, there's 40, 45 people in the Maui credits. So, uh, you know, we we very much appreciate that we're on there. But there's also a lot of other people who uh, who who this award is for as well. So I guess the question would be why these particular four, and and I'm not being sarcastic. I mean, I'm genuinely mm-hmm. like, a, what what is the, everyone's place? Is what's Carl's and Duncan's and has place in the in the uh, story? Um, so uh, I'll start with uh, with Keo maybe. So Keo was, I think, the third member of the Mari team uh, ever. So um, uh, I recruited Keo a, a wetter down in uh, New Zealand. Uh, probably eight years ago now. So he, he's been part of the team pretty much forever and uh, has, you know, fingerprints over a great deal of the code um, and is really, you know, a, a key member of the team. Um, Duncan was the first member of the Maori team at the Foundry. So he was really pivotal in helping us transition Maori from a, an in-house tool at, at Weta Digital to the commercial tool that you see now. So again, he uh, was kind of fundamental in the, uh, a lot of the core engineering work that went in there. And, uh, Carl, uh, is the out of the four of us is the, the newest member of the team. But again, he was kind of pivotal in a lot of the work that we've done over the last couple of years, a lot of the work coming up to Mari 2.0, where we put the layers system in there and then through 3.0 with the node graph and especially the, the color management system. So the, the, the four of us really, we were the easiest people to point at large chunks of Mari and say that was their responsibility. So I I think that's really why uh, we're on the, uh, on, on the nomination but again, as I said, there's you know probably 40, 45 people who've uh, who've contributed over the years. Let's do that painted, plotted history just before we go back um, to uh, to the start. And if we were just to sort of highlight the versions of Mari, like um, mm-hmm. obviously we're on version three now, but like version one, it seemed to me that memory management was the sort of if you had to sort of point to one thing, obviously apart from the actual ability to create great textures that sort of defined it technologically. That was the one that struck me. I, I, I guess, yeah. would you agree with that or was that? Yeah, uh, definitely. And I, I think that was the result of, of really having the luxury of developing it in-house at Weta under the radar. So the, the version that we, uh, you know, initially announced on uh, with the video with you in 2010 Yep. was really about the fifth version of Mari that we'd written uh, in terms of the memory management and the way that uh, it dealt with that stuff. So we'd, we'd had a couple, good couple of years of it being kicked around in production to, uh, to get the performance up. And at that point, the, the ability to store and manage and render large amounts of textures was the, 
that was what we, you know, that was the secret source. That was the foundation that we were, you know, building the rest of the application on. Now, when we move forward, would the next big one have been the layers? Because um, again, I, I think that was just a pivotal moment in Mari's uh, transition forward. Um, my, in my mind, I mean, it, it kind of goes 1.0. Then the Windows version was 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 pretty big for us. Uh, followed on by the Python and C APIs, but again, all of this is is just layers of foundation building up towards. Uh, you know, I think you're, you're right with 2.0 that turned it from a slightly quirky, slightly esoteric uh, tool, which was great if you happened to be a texture artist at Weta, to uh, a tool that anybody could pick up and anybody could use. So, you know, we, we had the uh, we had the strong foundations, and then really 2.0 was the the workflow release that made it available to everybody. And then, what would be the hallmark, um, the next sort of big milestone? Was it? Um, well, I guess you mentioned already the node graph. Would that be it, or was it more the? Because um, it, we we really had an important couple of steps before. We didn't just go from two to three, right? Yeah, so we had uh, Mali 2.5. Which was a really significant release, and you should have called that 3.0. We've got a bit of a history of that. Uh, Mali 1.4 v6. (laughs) Uh, By by all rights, you've probably been version 2. So, uh, yeah, uh, we we tend to only see these things in retrospect. but the, the, the 2.0 release was, again, a, a, a pretty pivotal one. And if, uh, Do you mean the 2.0 or the 2.5? Uh, so the, the, the 2.5. Yeah. Um, really, that was, uh, you know, I think that's when we, we put in the OS X support. We did a lot of reworking of the way that the shading and the, uh, the rendering worked. Um, so it... To, to, to get it supported across Windows, Linux, and Mac consistently was, was, was quite a lot of structural engineering. So, so again, yeah, 2.5 was, was, was a pretty big one. Um, but really, the, I think you're right, the, the one that changed everything was, was 2.0. And then what's, what is the, the, um, the, the hallmark that made 3.0? What's the, the headliner? Um, so with 3.0, the I guess the, the big ticket items are finally um, releasing the, the node graph out to the to the public. So uh, the, the node graph is actually something we implemented with 2.0, and it's how we implemented the layers system. But it's always been under the hood. It's been you know a, a developer view of of the world. But with 3.0, we, we finally uh, bit the bullet and made it available to uh, to artists. So you can either work as layers or as a node graph or as a combination of the two, which really unleashes a lot of the power and also simplifies a lot of stuff. So with the, with the layer system, it, it, it's pretty powerful and pretty flexible, and you can do a lot of really interesting things, but... To do very complicated work, you have to you have to really know what you're doing and do some quite sort of evil tricks 
with a layer stack to um, to really mimic a, a non fully non-destructive workflow. So with the uh, the node graph, it, it's now simpler and easier and, and kind of clearer what you're doing. Um, sorry. I was going to say, like, the thing for me is when we've spoken and we've spoken many times over the years over the product, I would normally focus on, you know, a, a film, whatever that film was at the time, be it, um, or even a TV show, like it's Life of Pi, it's Game of Thrones, it's whatever that film is. And it in my head, you were doing the hard lifting on big, you know, serious projects to get incredibly high quality uh, material out. But that, that gives this shadow of it being a very non-real time uh, workspace and yet in three you guys were coming out sort of saying hey we're we're supporting redshift and uh unreal and uh for that matter yep. i think uh other stuff can you talk to me about that that notion maybe it's only me i don't know of you know being a tool for the very um avatar centric kind of big end of town versus you know the very valid use of it in a in a more interactive environment um yeah i mean it's it, you know, Mari has found its place in in sort of high-end AAA uh, games titles. But for the most part, it seems to have kind of made its way in through the back door, normally through the, the cinematics teams. Yep. So, uh, you know, you, you'll get a couple of guys shifting over from VFX over into game cinematics, and they'll bring Mari with them. And then from there, it kind of trickles out into... Um, uh, into the rest of the, the product pipeline. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, you, you're pretty right that you've got to be doing some fairly heavy lifting um, with Mari to, to, to kind of get the most out of it. Its real strength is is volume. So it doesn't matter whether you're doing a single asset with a lot of textures on it or a lot of assets with a single texture on it. You've, you know, to, to really get the most out of it, you... It, you've got to be doing high throughput. Um, and I think the the work that we've done to put, you know, things like the real-time uh, shaders, the unreal shaders, the redshift shaders into there is just a recognition of of where we've seen Mari cropping up. And we're very, very keen to to bridge the gap between where you're creating your content and where you're seeing it. And, and that really had two aspects in Mari 3. So it certainly had it in the real-time aspect with the, the real-time shaders, but then it also had um, an aspect with uh, the Modo render integration, which is is really kind of the tip of the iceberg. And it was actually um, initially started just as a, as a proof of concept. So with 3, we actually added a full API and infrastructure for integrating production renderers into Mari. So obviously we, we've put uh, Ma, uh, the Modo renderer into there, but, but other you, facilities have But you've put done like there. Arnold and stuff, right? Um, I guess the best thing I can say is other renderers have been done by other people. <laughs> okay. So, so we, we have uh, real-time shaders, real-time versions of the shaders that come as standard with uh, a bunch of different renderers. Yeah. But... Uh, other facilities and other customers have made it possible to actually render directly out from Mari without having to export, without having to, uh, you know, create 25,000 textures or however many your, your creature has. And you can actually just hit render and immediately see, see the results. So that, 
the, the integration of the, the real-time aspect was, again, just another part of this, trying to uh, limit the distance between where you're creating and where you're viewing your, your textures because that iteration, that cycling, is, is what kills time. So let me get your global view of the world for a second. Um, sitting as yeah. you do so close to so many texture artists and, and texture pipelines, where are yeah. we with uh, UDEM and UV mapping and P-text and stuff? What's the lay of the land in terms of use and adoption and what's what's the trends? So in, in high-end VFX, UDEM is pretty ubiquitous now. It's... Uh, if, if people are using Mari, and most people are at, at, at that level, then they're using uh, UDIM layouts. PTEX is out there. It has its place, and it, it, it is being used. But I think the the overhead of fully adopting PTEX in your pipeline has maybe uh, meant that it, it, it hasn't become as... Um, as standard as you may have thought. As ubiquitous um, as I'd have thought or you'd have thought? I mean, is it just me that, that thought PTEX would be more popular? It makes a great deal of sense to me. Um, okay. Having spent a lot of time fighting UVs and uh, the intricacies and uh, the shortcomings, it does make a great deal of sense. But also coming from a production point of view and knowing – how many other parts of the pipeline this would affect, I can understand the overhead of, of full adoption. Um, it, it does solve a great deal of problems, but it comes at the cost of having to adjust a lot of different ways of working. Right. Um, that it, it's not just your texture painting and your, your texturing workflow. It's your hair, your simulation, um, pipelines as well and that there's a bunch of other ways that uvs are used that aren't just straight up textures and if you're going over to ptex you've either got to run parallel pipelines or you've got to fully translate everything over um so um if you have the the time and the space to, to fully adopt it then it it's awesome but uh, again, running a hybrid pipeline can be uh, um, a lot of work. So let me jump to the other end of the scale and go back to when you first started working on um, stuff back in Wetter in New Zealand. Yeah. What did you expect would happen when you started doing that? Like way back um, when you started, what did you expect was going to happen with this work that you were starting? So th this sounds like I'm making stuff up, but I always intended Mario to be commercialized. Um, I always wanted to write something that would have legs beyond the, the, the scope of a, of a single company. And that actually guided a lot of the decisions that my team and I made as we were developing it. So a lot of things that, if it was only a, a single facility product, would have been hard coded. We made generic. Um, we Is that because you'd seen what had happened to things like Massive, or you just always thought this is so needed by the industry? Um, I'd actually been told by a few people uh, before I uh, before I went down to Weta 
um, uh, that this was a tool that was needed in the industry. So I, I, I've been a huge graphics nerd since I was, you know, eight years old. And uh, paint systems were, were always my, my thing. And I think Mari is probably the last paint system that I'm ever going to write, but it's certainly about the fifth or the sixth. Um, so um, I, I really wanted to... Uh, I really wanted to write this. I wanted other people to use it. And I also wanted to make sure that the effort that we were putting in was as, you know, uh, as valuable as possible. So if you knew that, and yet obviously, you know, life throws tons of curveballs, would you have done anything differently <laughs> if you could go back now with sort of hindsight? Ah, oh, uh, that's incredibly, you know, so. Very difficult to say. Um, like, did the plan yes. play out? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, in, in, in general, the plan played out. Um, the plan was to uh, work as closely with the artists as possible, to iterate as quickly as possible, to go into it with as few preconceptions as possible. So I, I, I didn't really have any preconceived ideas about what a, a 3D texture painting application would do. I'd, I'd written some 2D painting applications, um, but um, I, I was very aware that I, I really knew nothing about about high-end VFX. So we allowed ourselves to be guided um, as much as possible by the by the work by the artists, and we set it up so we could um, we could get our mistakes out of the way as quickly as possible. Um, so that, that worked out incredibly well. I mean, we, we obviously made thousands and thousands of mistakes and we continue to make loads of mistakes, but the acknowledgement that we were going to make mistakes and we didn't really know what we were doing meant that we minimized the, the cost of those. But you must've had a complete, um, uh, bifurcation of desire. You wanted to both deliver for wetter because it's wetter for Christ's sake and you're doing a grade work. And then there's the, we're going to make this as a really good tool. And sometimes those things are not in sync. And I mean, like, you know, there's a hack to get it out or there's the, let's we work mm-hmm. this thing properly. Was it easy to solve that? Was the culture there made, did that make it easy to solve? Um, we were incredibly well supported. Um, we were, you know, we, we had the backing of the, the company. We never felt that we were, we were fighting against that. I mean, we were always fighting against deliverables and requirements and the balance between the two, between doing it right and doing it quick was always there. Um, so, so that's really, I guess, where the, um, the one thing that we did right well, one of the things we did right was um, we made some decisions early on that supported um, doing the right thing later on. That we we were rigorous, we were strict with ourselves about not letting hacks to get into the the core of the application. That we designed it to be plugin based early on. So if there was a hack required we could put it in a plugin rather than putting it into the core 
and were always pretty strict about if if we needed to put support in there to you know we, we had two buckets in our mind you know there was the the core functionality which was to be kept clean and pure and then there was the plugins which could be you know pretty hacky um but, but it, was, it was really that separation that, that allowed us to do both you you obviously ended up going to the wedding with the foundry were they the only uh, suitor or were there other people circling because in hindsight now of course it's hard to remember but back then it wasn't the foundry wasn't as dominant wasn't as obvious a player as it is today um there there were other people interested and there were other people we were talking to but really the foundry were the only people who who made sense um so they were at the right size where it would matter deeply to them that, you know, we, we believe that there would be full commitment and that they were, you know, very, very serious about, uh, about taking it on. But Jack, I mean, I, um, I mean, not to, not to disparage the foundry cause you know, mm. but, but obviously the foundry at that stage, no 3d, there's no moto there. There's no, there's, it's a 2d company effectively. It's image processing followed by nuke. There are yep. other companies who are pretty obvious who had lots of 3D products and lots of 3D stuff. So yep. it's, it, that's what I mean. When you look back now, it, it seems like an obvious choice. But back then, it was not a dumb choice, obviously, but it wasn't yep. the, the most obvious choice. Um, it's Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I guess it could be viewed that way. But, I mean, it, it wasn't a, a quick process. It, it wasn't a, an overnight thing. I think it was about 18 months from our initial meeting through to, uh, you know, signing the final bit of paper and me moving to London. So it's we, – we were, you know, pretty convinced pretty early on about their their commitment, about their ability to take – in-house tools, obviously having taken Nuke and taken it out of um, uh, DD effectively and and commercialized it, the, the, the fact that they didn't have 3D was actually a bit of a selling point. The, this was obviously something that they wanted. This was a direction they wanted to go in. And I would rather be, you know, at, at the the cutting edge in a company as, as opposed to one of other, you know, 10 other products. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because in a sense, Murray was their bridge to 3D because there are obviously parts of Murray that are very 2D in the sense that it's like a painting mm-hmm. program and very 3D in the sense that, you know, you're worried about UVs and texturing a 3D object, but it's, it is effectively a bridge. Was it a bridge um, technology yeah, for it, the R&D team? I mean, for the people that you were dealing um, with in London? It certainly introduced a you know uh, a bridge between different ends of the pipeline so obviously nuke is conceptually at the end of the pipeline yeah. it's often the last bit of software that that the frames of the images go through before they go out and and yeah i mean it, it did kind of bookend the the technology mari is actually you know very much at the beginning of the pipeline it's a long way down the um down the process so yeah i mean i i, I guess it did um put in a milestone really you know you could you could then look at what the foundry had and say right we've got something at the beginning we've got something at the end 
what can we now get maybe in the middle or, you know, it helped. I'm, I'm just uh, trying to imagine how much, I'm trying to imagine how much when you first appeared in Soho in London, you felt like yeah. you're amongst um, like-minded family or it was more like this is a weird 3D creature, we have to learn his ways. It, it, it was it was never like that at all. I mean, I mean, Nuke at the time did have uh, 3D aspects into it. It wasn't yeah, purely no, 2D. 2D. Cameras, yep. um, but we we all spoke the same language. We all knew the same people. We all came from the same background. Um, we I think it would have been difficult if Keo and I hadn't have come with the product. Um that if if we'd just thrown it over the fence and said, right, there you go, you know, you guys go work it out, it it, it maybe would have been trickier. But I think because, you know, the, the, the two people who, who really designed it and wrote it and came up with it came with it, um, we, you know, uh, we, we hit the ground running pretty quickly. And I, I think the, the foundry were very clever with their hiring as well that they, you know, they reached outside of in-house and they went and got some games guys who, who had 3d experience and brought them in as well. So we, we weren't having to, you know, teach people who'd done straight up 2d image processing, what the 3d world looked like. So, so I'm going to run back to the present day now, jump back to, to now. And as it happens, and we didn't rig it this way, I think I was the one that alerted you you'd actually got the SciTech Award by, <laughs> by accident. I assumed you already knew. No, no. I, I, I got a message from you while I was wandering around the, uh, the floor at CES. It was like, congrats on the, on, on the SciTech. It's like, well, thanks. but <laughs> You literally emailed me back, know. do you know something that I don't? And I was like, uh-oh, it sounds like I do. Um, <laughs> But that that wasn't deliberate. But my my point was, how did that make you feel? Did it make you feel maybe it isn't either of these two choices? But did it make you feel like, you know, I've finally done it, or did it make you feel like fine, whatever? But you haven't seen what we've got up our sleeve yet. I would like to say that I kept my cool, but there there, there was an, uh, an idiot jumping up and down and waving his arms on the uh, the show floor at CES for about ten minutes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully you um, thought I hadn't got it wrong. I, I did check. I've got to admit, I did, I did check. But, uh, but once, once I'd, uh, I'd got the, the press release myself, then, yeah, I was uh, running around like a headless chicken waving my arms about. So what makes you, Jack, want to go in and do Mari 4.0? I'm not saying that you don't. I'm just saying, like, what is it that gets you out of bed to do, you know, another big run at this? Or do you not want to keep going? Do you have other things that are getting your interest? Speaking I mean, personally. I, I mean, so I, I, I transitioned uh, into head of new technology at the foundry um, last year. So Mari's still definitely very much under my wing, but I, I have uh, a number of other uh, projects going on as well. But, but um, you are, Mari does still fall under you, doesn't it, in, in that bigger umbrella, or have I got that wrong? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it does at the moment. Um, I think that... Uh, as we go on, we might be, you know, we might transition um, some more responsibility in there just because I'm, you know, running, I think, five set, five other projects at the moment and we want to make sure that it's getting the, the attention that it deserves. But the, the, the thing that really still just gets me going is just seeing people using it. Um, I, I've 
since I uh, moved to San Francisco uh, last year, I'm actually able to spend bizarrely more time with with artists than I uh, I was before, and I still get a kick out of it. I mean, I still going into a, a facility, you know, Pixar, DreamWorks, Sony, or you know, even sort of two or three man shops. I still kind of have to double take. It's like, what? They're, they're using Mari. Wow. Um, and, and really that's the, the, the thing that keeps going. Um, the, the scale of projects that people are doing, the crazy, interesting ways that they're reusing it are, uh, are what get me out of bed in the morning. So let me ask you this. When was the last time you opened Mari and painted a texture for something that wasn't a demo for somebody else? I have never painted a production asset in Mari. I am. A, no, I don't, I I don't am mean a production house. I don't mean like you're, you're doing it for somebody else. But I mean, like, when was the last time yeah. you just played with the product, not for a demo, like not someone like me sitting beside you and you talking about it, or not at a trade show, or not at a investor oh, meeting, uh, or whatever? Because uh, you've done a couple ago. of those. I mean, you've done a couple of those, like on stages for Apple, that were kind of impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I still read every commit that goes in from the dev team. I still fire it up. I pull the latest uh, builds, and I, you know, I, 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 I kick the tires. So yeah, you know, I, 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 it's still my baby. I still love it. So after um, the uh, after this nom- after this recognition for the SciTech, would I be um, right in thinking that uh, that Apple presentation that I just referred to was another one of those great moments that you needed to uh, pick your, you know, pinch yourself over? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing we did at uh, WWDC with uh, Pixar for the launch of the Mac Pro was was one of those what the hell am I doing moments. You know, you're, you're walking out and I think the Moscow Center main room has 5,500 people in it. Um, and they're all there and it was a lunchtime session. So they're all sitting there eating their lunch and looking up at you expectantly. And you're like, right, well, I guess I better perform then. Um and that that was a that, that 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 was a big moment, yeah. Um, mainly because it, it was the the, the combination of, a, of just a staggering amount of work. You know, it, it was. I think I was talking for fifteen minutes, and the whole presentation was forty five minutes. But I think in total, I did a hundred and twenty hours worth of rehearsals for that. Wow. Um, so it, it was, yeah, it was uh, it was fun. Yes, yes. Well, I'm, <laughs> I uh, I remember seeing that in what that would have been 2013. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, and yeah, 2013. The, the only thing I remember thinking, apart from that, I think you did a great job, and it was a great demo. Is mm-hmm. I just wish that you'd managed to do it a couple of years earlier, and Steve could have uh, given you uh, a handshake on stage and, and said hi. But apart from that, it seemed like a a pretty good career <laughs> moment. And I'm I'm sure going up to get the uh, SciTech will be uh, another great one. Now that's coming up in February 13. I'm going to say at um, yeah. Uh, but for yep. those that aren't able to be there, it'll be uh, broadcast, I think, a week or two later as it ties in with the uh, the main Oscars. Well, hopefully uh, you can um, dust off the uh, dinner jacket and uh, enjoy the night and uh, relax. It's not like you, you have a lot of anticipation for who the envelope is going to reveal as the winner. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but better check, better check the, uh, the, the, the tuxedo still fits. Yes, um, yes. And if not, <laughs> I, think you, I think you deserve a new one. You, you've earned it. <laughs> Um, Jack, um, I couldn't I couldn't be happier for you and the guys. Um, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us. Oh no, uh, thank you very much. And you know, uh, I, I think uh, it's you know, as, as you're pointing out, you know, 
it was uh, it was your show that we uh, we initially announced Mari on, and uh, you managed to get in there and uh, be the first person to tell me that we got the SciTech. So thanks for your support over the uh, over the last few years. It's a pleasure, my friend. Um, and uh, I might even see you there, uh, or, or if not, uh, John at the uh, SciTech. But definitely, uh, uh, yeah, it'll be a good night, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, again, thank you very much. Well, thanks to Mike and Jack for that. Are you an FX Insider? FX Insider is our membership program that offers exclusive content and expanded articles. It's a way for people who care about visual effects and the work we do here at FX Guide to help us continue and grow. Details at fxguide.com. Click the FX Insider tab. This is something we came up with when people started asking us how they can help as they noticed FX Guide doesn't barrage you with banner ads and constant fundraising and things like that. So help us out. Check us out over at fxguide.com. This has been the FX Podcast. We also do two other audio podcasts. The VFX Show reviews visual effects and current releases, as well as classic films. And the RC Podcast covers digital cinematography. We also produce FX Guide TV, our high-definition video podcast. And you can find these along with in-depth articles and more at fxguide.com. And as I mentioned, check out fxphd.com, our sister site, that offers extensive online visual effects training. So that'll do it for this episode. For my partners, Mike Seymour and John Montgomery, I'm Jeff Huser. We'll see you on the next FX Podcast. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide, LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.